everybody, before we get into today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Precision Pro Golf. No Laying Up is brought to you by Precision Pro Golf. As the weather turns warmer, it's time to start thinking about your golf goals for this year. Is it to reach a lower handicap, hit more greens and regulation, or simply to have more fun? Personally, I have two golf goals, one to hit a third of my greens in regulation and to make more birdies than I did last year. Whatever your goal is, Precision Pro can help. They have the smartest rangefinder in the game and the R1 Smart Rangefinder or their best-selling rangefinder, the NX9 Slope. There's also the all-new Ace Smart Speaker that provides audible GPS distances to the green and serves as your personal DJ during the round. Precision Pro offers a one-of-a-kind mixture of innovative technology, premium quality products, and industry-leading customer service. You'll never second-guess adding a Precision Pro golf product to your bag, and you'll never second-guess your distance. Listeners, receive $20 off their award-winning rangefinders. Go to precisionprogolf.com. That's precisionprogolf.com. Use the coupon code NOLAYINGUP, all one word, NOLAYINGUP at checkout, and get the $20 off their award-winning rangefinders. This year, measure improvement, not just distance, with Precision Pro Golf. Thank them for sponsoring the Trap Draw, and now on to today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Trap Draw Podcast. My name is Randy. This is part two of a humongous Oscars extravaganza featuring myself, DJ Pihowski, and Timothy Simons. You can check out Tim on social media at Timothy C. Simons, both on Twitter and Instagram uh, in part one. And if you haven't listened to part one, I would urge you to go back and listen to part one. He lays out some of his upcoming projects, so be sure to check him out in that. And I thought it was a really fun, meandering, uh, goofy, but insightful conversation we had in part one. So again, if you haven't listened to that, go check that out. In this episode specifically, we are going to dive into each of the 10 best picture films. If you haven't seen some of these movies, I will say right off the top, there are spoilers. If you check out the show notes, I detail where we discuss each film. So um, certainly avoid any that you don't want some spoilers for. With that said, the Oscars are this Sunday night. Can't wait to see who takes home the hardware, particularly the Best Picture winner. Uh, as you'll see here in just a second, we are a bit divided in what we think is going to win. And I think it made for a great overall conversation. So without further ado, let me get out of the way. Here is myself, DJ Pihowski, and Tim Simons discussing each of the 10 Best Picture nominations. Should we dive into the Best Pictures? Let's do it. I, I listed them in no particular order at all. Do you want to go by my listing or do you have, uh, you know, are you dying to go in a certain order? What's, what's your preference here? I got no preference, Randy. I, I, let's go, you know, let's go by what you have on the list here. Yeah, Should let's you, do that. Would you like, I hate to keep being this guy. You want me to 
uh, look up the odds just to to set yeah, the table please. here on what we're yeah. what we're talking about. So longest longest shot here, uh, plus eight thousand seems unlikely. Uh, Nightmare Alley. Uh, next would be plus five thousand is drive my car. Plus thirty five hundred is both don't look up and licorice pizza. Plus twenty eight hundred is Dune. Plus sixteen hundred West Side Story. Plus sixteen hundred King Richard. Plus 650 Belfast, plus 400 Coda. Shout out to Big T and minus 280, the overwhelming favorite, the power of the dog. All right. I think we're going to get some, some strong, strong discussions here. So the first one on my list is Drive My Car. It is a Japanese film. It is very long, three hours. Uh, it's based on a story by Haruki Murakama. Uh, directed by, I apologize in advance, probably going to butcher some of these names, by uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi. It's nominated for Best Picture, obviously, Best best Director, Best International Feature Film, and Best Adapted Screenplay. All right. I I really like this. In fact, I'll just come out and say it. This would be my pick for Best Picture, which shocked me. I... Kind of had low expectations. I thought the, the length of the film was going to be a drawback, but I, I I was trying to think about like why I really liked it, and I think for me it was a, a couple of factors. One, I think the pacing of the movie really worked. It it is slow in parts, sure, uh, but I found the pacing to be overall just very soothing and like additive to what the story is and. I guess I might as well say that the, the story in a nutshell is a uh, theater director loses his wife and then um, kind of a couple years later finds himself up in Hiroshima putting on a checkoff play as part of a uh, film festival up in, in the town of Hiroshima. And they give him a driver to uh, shuttle him around from his residence to the the theater house. So, I mean, that's the story. I, I, I thought I really cared about the, the, the characters. I found myself invested like in the, in the story. And what I really, really loved about it, I thought how they weave in the checkoff play called uncle Vanya, I believe it is. I, I might be mispronouncing that. I, I thought it's just masterful how, how that story kind of weaves in with the story of, the, the theater director and his driver and some of the other characters. So uh, that's, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of 30,000 feet, but let me just throw it out that I, I really like this guys. And I'm curious if, if you, if you did as well. I really liked it as well. I am going to be honest. I feel like I'm going to have to watch it again to really understand what it was about. <laughs> and maybe I'm failing a Rorschach test here. I am. I loved being in front of it, and it seemed mysterious in a way. And like I've I've read a bunch of Haruki Murakami's like sort of short stories and some of his novels. Like he wrote Q one Q eighty four Q eighty four, and he wrote uh, the Wind Up Bird Chronicle. And I've read some of his other short story stuff, and it all has like a sort of magical weirdness to it. And I felt like that was sort of like the story that sh- the wife tells about about creating stories while having sex like that that seemed to be like a very murakami thing 
But I don't know that I can actually tell you if I understood what it was about. And I'm hoping that, but it's not to say that I don't like it. I really liked it, but I don't, I'm not yet sure if I know outside of the fact that I just enjoyed being in front of it. You that's, know I mean? ex- that's exactly how I felt. And, and I want to put a, a massive hand up here that this is a complete, complete me problem. This was a total, I was a victim of circumstance this week. I realized that I had a couple of movies left to watch. Uh, that coincided with, you may have seen uh, a bit of a weird week uh, with the players championship here. <laughs> so just constantly like out at the golf course all day, every day, slogging through the rain, uh, doing live shows. Solly's filling us up with Elijah Craig whiskey on the live shows. And then by the time I finally get home, it's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, Oh God, I got to watch drive my car. And <laughs> so I, I, I loved it for as much as someone can love a movie that they fell asleep during twice and needed to, to stretch out over three days. So I'm going to recuse a lot of my, a lot of my time on this apart from saying I'm with you. I thought the acting was Awesome. I thought the the writing was mysterious and kind of beautiful and weird and coded and all these things that like it just had everything that I love in a movie. It was very quiet and restrained and it kind of was challenging you to to figure it out. I just unfortunately uh, I don't think I was up for the challenge. So it's it's disappointing uh, to say the least because it seems like a movie I would absolutely love. Talk to a bunch of people who did absolutely love it. Randy, obviously you're among among that crowd, but I think it's at the top of my list, uh, if not, you know, top three or four of these movies that I'm like, God, as soon as I, as soon as I can, I'm going to watch that again. I just didn't have time to do it, unfortunately. I'll throw a caveat in there for my hand up that I was, uh, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I was still sort of coming down from eating some mushrooms when I started it. So I, I think like, you know, maybe being a little hazy on the front end didn't help my overall understanding. Um, but I do know that it, like, I just like, it was one of those things where it's like, holy fuck, like the opening credits of the movie are 45 minutes into it. Yeah. And, like they're so, when so those far, popped up, I was like, wait, 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 what, what, what just happened? So yeah. much fucking happened. And then the opening credits, I mean, like there are movies where the, like, where you'd be like, oh, that's the end credits of the movie. Um, so no, I do feel like maybe my headspace at the beginning led to a lack of sort of foundational knowledge. But I, when I, I think about, I think about like the beauty of the relationship between the guy who's, who is playing like the director's assistant and his wife, who is deaf, who's, who's auditioned for that play. And he's like, you know, we have an actress coming in and her take might be a little bit different, but we just wanted to present it as an option that relationship, her performance, I was blown away by the beauty of that. And I don't know, and I don't, I I don't know how to describe it outside of that. It was beautiful and I've never seen it before. And I just, I loved every moment of it, especially that little potato moment. She just gestures at the potato and then does this at his face. I fucking howled. I fucking howled. I loved it. (laughs) Let me, let me, share some stuff with you guys and, and see if it and the listeners too to to see if any of this like helps make anything click maybe um i i think like i said i think the checkoff play uncle vanya mm-hmm. uh plays a huge role in this and just going to from wikipedia uncle vanya the play is about two friends uh vanya and uh astrov who fall under this woman's spell yelena and the whole time, though, 
they they just bemoan the boredom of essentially like everyday life, right? The the melancholy, the boredom, the the listlessness of of everyday life. And I think what I really enjoyed about Drive My Car is, you know, that's not subtly, but but that's kind of exactly what the the theater director um and let me get his actual character name uh kafuku yasuki kafuku that that's what he and the the girl his driver uh the young woman masaki watari like that's obviously what they're feeling right they've both lost people very close to them and uh but they have such complicated relationships with them right uh kafuku his wife is cheating on him um one of the people that is having a, a or had a relationship with his wife is now in the the play and and their dynamic between the two of them is i think really fascinating um that that actor seemed like uh, like the you know not the actor in drive my car but the actor in the play that character uh seemed like a potential nominee as as the kid he seemed like he was yeah. absolutely living with little regard for any <laughs> anything else that was going on, and just potentially the the Japanese kid. If I was my takeaway, but but you can it see feels him being like there should on. be a category for the kid, and he yes. would be a front runner. He'd be like negative eight thousand for the kid. I, I think him. I, I think as I'm looking down the list, I think Gary and Licorice Pizza was obviously the kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and you can maybe convince me of of one or two others, but. Uh, Sorry, Randy, I digress. No, that's okay. I, I just thought there's a lot of just complicated human interaction and dynamic in this movie. And, and I think, again, you see that with uh, the director, Kafuku, and his wife. You see that with Kafuku and the kid. Uh, you see that with the kid and just like his own life um, and, and dealing with what all he's going through. You see that with the driver, Masaki Watari and her relationship with her mother. Uh, you see that with the, the couple that Tim mentioned, right? The, the mute Korean actress and, and her husband. I, I just thought it was so vibrant in, in from like, uh, like this is like what life is and it's messy and it's not easy. And it's sometimes it's beautiful. And, um, I just, I, I really, really liked it. And um, yeah, I, I, it surprised me how much I liked it. It's a, it's a, it is a hard one to sum up. And I think it is going to be one of those ones that I, I feel like I would have to read. I would have to know a lot more about Chekhov and my Chekhov knowledge, even though I like went to theater school is not that deep. <laughs> I didn't go to like a great theater school. So like I, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm certainly not a scholar. But it is one that I just will fully admit that I don't yet know what it was about, but I I really did love sitting in front of it uh, and I want to watch it again. I did see it with another actor and there were moments like in the audition scenes and this is a very surface level read, but we were both like, oh man, when like he would like do an audition uh, and then he would be like, thank you. We were both like, no, he didn't give him an adjustment. There's no way that person's getting cast. Like, it, like these scenes give us anxiety in a way that like other people watching this movie don't. And at one point when that one woman like speaks up about how like some more positive feedback might be good for the yeah. cast, I was like, oh, damn. 
oh damn like she's gonna get replaced you know what i mean like there right, was some right. sort of like meta theater moments that i don't feel like uh regular like the the red people that don't do this very stupid job wouldn't necessarily see yeah i i think you that's know, so interesting i'd love to like come back to you guys because i don't like tim like you said like i don't really know if you can easily you can you can sum up what it's about but mm-hmm. i i think the beauty of it is you could you could focus in on so many different angles where it, it can kind of shift what it's about a little bit like i i think that, god this sounds so corny and cliche but it's like it's it, for me it was just like it's kind of about life and, and just yeah. like a lot of different shit that happens in life I think that was what I was almost most like frustrated by in my my state that I was watching it in, which was not all that different to being on mushrooms. Honestly, was, <laughs> was I'm watching this movie and I'm like, all right, I know intellectually based on what I'm watching here, there are 40 layers for me to dive into, and I just don't. I I, I can really just kind of keep up with like, all right, so who's driving the car? Yeah, <laughs> who, who who is this lady? Okay, so they're so he's a director. Okay, got it. Uh, and that was really frustrating to me. So I, I'm again, I'm looking forward to watching it again. One of the things I I really did love about it, and uh, a really good takeaway was, you know, just on a very surface level, the the basic kind of plot device of the movie is this idea of being alone in the car and being away from screens and being locked away in a place that you can't really be distracted from all the other shit that's going on in your life. And actually, Neil, we keep joking about Neil, but Neil says this all the time. And actually, not to, you know, overshare, but it was one of the uh, it was one of the things he said in his wedding vows, right? Where he's like, he's like the the one thing that uh, I hope he doesn't mind me bringing this up, but he said it to me a bunch. So the one thing that, you know, he would always think about with his his now wife, Carson, was like, who do you think about when you're you're driving on a long drive by yourself. Like that's where you get into these points where you just can't, uh, you can't kick stuff down the road anymore. Yeah, You're just, whatever thoughts are really top of mind uh, are going to leak through and they're going to reach the surface. And he, like I said, he said that beautifully in his wedding vows about his, his now wife. And I think the movie almost kind of takes like the opposite tact, right? Where it's like, you can you can kind of bury yourself in work. You can do all these different things that are going to you know kind of numb that feeling for a while. But like, man, you got an hour drive to work each way. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of shit that bubbles up that you can't really well, avoid. And and just to piggyback on that, I, I hope you you realize the tape that he always plays in the car going over his lines. I mean, that's his wife that's talking to him. Right. And again, the the subject matter of the play, the lines he's going over, a lot of that is like getting through this grief and this like wanting, like my life is nothing. What do I do? And, and the message is like, just keep living, right? Like just, you, you're going to have to suffer, but in the end it's going to be worth it. And I thought like when, when you start to get to that level and see it all kind of intertwined with this bigger picture, that's where I thought it was like, Oh my God, this is really, <laughs> this is really good. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed it so much. I'm looking forward to watching it again. It was it was a great addition to the the list of nominees. Yeah, I, and I, I also would, yeah I will also say that I love the fact that a movie like this is nominated because like a three hour movie that is kind of unanswerable is kind of is not really the thing that you would think would make a a big Oscar play. And I I love the fact that it's in there. The only like one thing like hand up one thing that I really wanted to do that I wasn't able to do was watch these a bunch of times. And this is yeah. one that I'm going to have to yeah. watch a few more times to really know. 
weirdly i really want to watch it again too and i i can't imagine saying that about many three-hour movies and and i also will say let me just get a dig in on nomadland like i thought this was the movie nomadland was trying to be that this like big kind of unanswerable you know meditation on life and and the people in it and i i just thought this is so much better than nomadland was to to me but uh, I love you sliding that in there. As you, yeah. as you might know, <laughs> never now, a missed opportunity. I I hated Nomad. <laughs> All right. Uh, next on my list, King Richard. It's a uh, it's a biopic of uh, Richard Williams, father of Venus and Serena Williams. It uh, obviously stars Will Smith as Richard Williams. What uh, where, where do you want to start here, guys? I'll, I'll start, I'll start out with this one. I think this is a, to me, like uh, looking at it, having seen it once, this is a movie that is very much like an Oscar play. Like it is very much an Oscar movie. Like it's a biopic about a complicated person uh, with an inspirational message about starting, you know, especially Americans, you know, starting somewhere and you know uh, upward mobility and that type of thing and uh, uh, a lot of racial injustice themes in there so it's very much an oscar movie but i this is the my main takeaway from it outside of the fact that will smith i mean he's like a fucking movie star like and his performance is amazing but when i watch movies like this i always have a little bit of trouble and this is not a shot at the movie cuz i think it's well done and well made and well-performed. And I mean, the two girls who play Venus and Serena are phenomenal. Phenomenal. But I do have a little bit of trouble with movies like this being made where the people close to the story are executive producers. And I feel like you can see this in that you can see that in the portrayal of like, they don't shy away from the bad things that maybe he did but it certainly leans on the celebratory. Like mm-hmm. at one point he mentioned, like, you know, his wife talks about like, you know, when your son shows up and I was like, wait the a conversation, minute. The conversation in the kitchen. It's the like com- they, they kind of yada yada, like all yes. Like, yes. the yeah, other yeah. 90% of, yes. of the story, right? Yeah. And so that is where I, uh, that is where I think the generally like that would be my and that's not necessarily a note for this movie as much as it is for me watching movies all of these movies like as an example like the nwa documentary or documentary the uh uh, what was it called straight out of compton yeah Mm -hmm. loved that movie the most compelling person was the one who wasn't alive because they were allowed to you know ice cube looks like a fucking hero, a perfect <laughs> hero in that movie from beginning to end. Cause he's still alive and he can say, no, I want to be portrayed as this, but easy E who is dead and is not an executive producer on it can be portrayed as a multifaceted, multi-layered and complicated character who is somewhat unguarded by the producers. If that makes sense. I, I was going to say the exact same thing. That was my biggest takeaway other than, you know, I had a blast watching it. I thought it was yeah. really well done. I thought all the actors were great. There were bits and pieces of the story that I didn't know, but it was a story I was fairly familiar with. And I'm just not a massive uh, biopic person. And I think a lot of that is because of the reasons you just listed off. I remember watching like the the uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the, the uh, yeah. Freddie Mercury biopic, which is 
among the the worst offenders of of that, right? Where you had all the kind of band members from Queen as executive producers, and you have this person, you know, who's like this massively like the most hypersexual person, you know, in the history of the world, and they just like don't include <laughs> any of any of that except for maybe like one scene of him being kind of awkward at a party, and it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a pretty big part of the fucking story here, man. Yeah. Like, uh, why did we have to do this? Like now, maybe we just wait 10 years, 15 years, 20 years to, to do some of these and actually like tell the, tell the real story, which is where it's, you know, easy to say, uh, I'm sure it's tough to be a, uh, you know, producer, director, any, any of that stuff on these films, but it's almost like to make it tied back slightly to, a a golf story. Like it's almost kind of like the, what a lot of what we said about the tiger documentary, the right. HBO Tiger Doc is where it becomes like, man, I know like uh, just a lot of these people like can't talk or aren't willing to talk. So you're only getting part of the story and the story's not yeah. really done yet. And like, it just kind of leaves you in a bit of a weird, a weird spot. So I'm, I'm with you in that. Like, I think they're at their worst when it just feels like, you know, you're reading a Wikipedia page and it becomes very like, again, back to the Bohemian Rhapsody movie that I love to shit on is like, you know, how's your day going? Oh, pretty good. Since I just wrote, we are the champions, yeah. you know, and it's like, you're kind of like moving through this Wikipedia page that they're knocking things down. And I didn't think of this was quite at that level. It was, it was not too like expository and you could kind of sink into some of the scenes and stuff, but it's just really hard to hit that balance of like getting, getting both sides of that spectrum. Right. So I really, I liked it. Maybe would watch again, would be totally fine if I didn't see it again. Uh, Will Smith was great. That would be my yeah haiku esque uh reaction yeah as as somebody who's getting into tennis more and more too it, it was fun just to kind of nerd out on Great some of the tennis team. Yeah, the, yeah the tennis scenes and some of the little appearances you know like pete sampras and yeah. jennifer capriotti's mentioned and and all that fun stuff um i think you it's mentioned a, offline that john barenthal the instructor down in orlando was <laughs> really was funny. so good yeah so funny uh, I, I think just the way it portrays to the junior tennis scene and, and the crazy ass parents and the, the whiny, unhappy kids in a lot of scenes is, is really funny. I think, you know, you could take that to just about any, I, I think like golf would probably be the same way in a lot of respects. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, the, the one criticism that I heard elsewhere and I agree with is I just found the slice of time that the movie took to be a little weird uh, how they decided on like what they were going to look at in terms of like the timeline or essentially like where they ended the timeline, right? It kind of ends with Venus uh, making her pro debut on the cusp of signing a big endorsement deal. And I just thought that was a little uh, weird maybe because you have, I, I think part of as a viewer, what, what I was really getting into was that dynamic between Venus, but then her younger sister, Serena. And then we all know like Serena has become the, the greatest women's tennis player of all time. It, it just was an odd choice to kind of focus the whole movie pretty much around Venus and, and then having Serena kind of in the background, you can kind of see her, how she develops like the chip on her shoulder that would make her great. Right. But, but it doesn't, it doesn't really pay off any of that, I guess. Here, here's something I wanted to throw in specific to that. And I think that this is also related to having Venus and Serena be executive producers on it. There is actually, outside of the fact that Serena Williams is the greatest tennis player to ever live, 
there is no reason that she should be in this movie. And, and I know that that sounds weird because she's Serena Williams, but the movie is about, and I'm, I'm stealing this directly from a podcast that a friend of mine does uh, called blank check where they go. It's like a, my friend Griffin, and his friend David, they, they watch entire filmographies and they talk about every single movie. They do like a podcast about every single movie. And one of the things I had never thought about before, which Griffin brought up, is last line, first line. The last line of your movie is the first line of your movie. It's what the entire movie's about. And the last line of this movie is people chanting Venus, Venus, Venus. Yeah. This movie is about Venus Williams. And there is no reason to have Serena Williams in it outside of maybe one scene, one mention of the fact. But so the movie would be cleaner and better and more direct if you took that out completely. And what you're kind of left with is this, or at least for me, I think it would be better without it. You're left with this idea that he's just kind of, he has that scene where he's like, you know, Venus is going to be the first number one, but you're right. going to, it was like, wait a minute. So like, are, are you just like playing mental games with your, like what the fuck kind right. of psychological insanity is this? Like, it seemed almost like abusive to have that thing in there. And that's, that's a hyperbolic word. And so I don't really mean that. It just seemed to me like they, they felt like they had to put Serena in there, but, but I don't think you need Serena in there to tell the story of Richard Williams. You know what I mean? That's interesting because I, I would always think of them as so tied at the hip just from training as young kids where I, I yeah. you know, I think you need Serena there. I, I don't know how you would handle it without Serena being in the, in the movie. I think you have her there, but she's essentially an afterthought. It makes it a, like, and that's why it's sort of like, it, it might not be as close to truth, but, but you're making the movie. Like you can maybe see in the background Serena being ignored and if you know the story you you can then say oh well I now I know where why Serena became the greatest ever which I think yeah. conceptually like I totally totally agree with you but I also think like trying to pitch that to the studio who's making this movie and oh trying to get yeah. a bunch of Serena fans to watch it is just gonna like yeah. piss everybody off even more and Randy I, I'm with you in that like the movie ended and I was like bummed almost like, Oh God, like show me the next like 10 years. Like how do yeah. they go like yeah. dominate, which to me kind of says like, well, I didn't, I don't know if I really like, it's an amazing story. It's unbelievable. But like, I don't know if I really like I'm dying for the Richard Williams story. Like I'm kind of more interested in like the two sisters story. And that's where I kind of go back to like, eh, I wasn't like totally asking for this movie, I guess, or I'd rather see a movie about Venus and Serena, but you can't really make that until Serena's done playing and it gets kind of back into the whole conversation. So again, kind of the best, you know, it's one of those like kind of best possible version of what it was. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what it was, was maybe not my 100% favorite thing. Sure. I will uh, say I have one little note here and I'm, I can't remember exactly the context, but I'm reading it back and I really like it. And it just says, I ain't raised no poop butts. And that made me, I remember, I mean, I must've loved that. Because as a parent, I was like, oh, that is actually a really good way to say that, that I, I didn't raise any poop butts and I'm not going to hear any of that poop butt stuff. Yeah. That, I, I usually have a, a lengthy, lengthy list of notes from watching all these. I only had one note uh, in my entire doc as I pulled it up today. It was a depressing reminder. And it just said, drive my car, opening credits, roll at 41 minutes. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was my yeah. only note. 
that we're we're completely flying blind elsewhere <laughs> for 10 movies yeah. there's one note. one note opening credits 41 minutes wow that's wild man hey everybody sorry to interrupt the episode randy here again i want to thank our other sponsor for today's podcast that is our good friends at DraftKings sportsbook college basketball fans Join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. And if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round, who will hit the most three-pointers, then track your results. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use promo code NLU, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code NLU this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, 21 and over, restrictions apply, see show notes for details. Thank them very much for sponsoring the Trap Draw. And now back to our episode. The next movie on my list is Dune. And I, I will let, let me quickly lay out my thoughts and I think cede the floor to you, gentlemen. Th- this is normally the type of movie that maybe I wouldn't be super into. Uh, a little sci fi, a little, you know, we've created this whole universe and, um, you know, come, come jump in. Uh, w- was never a big like Star Wars person. Uh, Star Trek type person. So I had to get over that hurdle. I like, I liked the movie. I didn't not like the movie. I thought it was a little hard to like understand the geopolitics of this universe at times. Uh, I wasn't quite sure like who was who or, you know, what, what we're doing necessarily. Um, But I, I thought it was good i i think maybe i'm damning it with with faint praise is is kind of my biggest takeaway no i felt similarly i i thought it was like fairly triumphant in a lot of a lot of ways uh, visually it was fucking amazing uh just the, every little thing so my wife justine is is a massive dune fan has read the books it's deep into it she was much anticipating this much much more than i was and she was pointing out a lot of like, Hey, like think about all the things that they had to figure out how to visualize, right? Like in a book, it's kind of easy to explain away a lot of this stuff, but just everything from the weapons to the technology to all these kinds of things, it's easy to say in a book like, Oh, and then it, you know, projects on the wall or it does whatever, but you hit that, like trying to figure out a way to do all that different stuff. I think if you went back and watched it again through that lens, you'd be pretty blown away at how they were able to, to do all that. Uh, I'm with you, Randy, in that I think I kind of OD'd in my adolescence on fantasy worlds. You know, I've I you can ask me any questions you want about the Star Wars universe. Ask me any questions you want about the <laughs> Tolkien universe. Uh, any things of, those, of that just, nature. Things of that nature. I spent so much fucking time learning, uh, you know, governmental structures of fake <laughs> worlds that I kind of got into Dune. I was like, you know, I just. I don't know if I have it here, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try, but like, I, you know, I just, I'm not as rabid as I, as I once was. And I think seeing Justine's enthusiasm for it kind of helped uh, because I left the theater, like really pumped about what I saw. And I thought Chalamet is 
pre-approved for goat status in my mind. Uh, just I've absolutely loved him in everything I've seen him in, including Don't Look Up, which I thought sucked. Wait, uh, possibly the kid? Exactly. Both the kid and actor and kid in the movie? Like exactly. the character in the movie is the kid and also yeah. the actor is the kid? Exactly. Well said. I think that, yeah, uh, I think that's well said. So I, th- I thought there was it was a really, really fun watch. It was a lot... Uh, Basically, I, I think what I just kind of got done rambling about there were a lot of my fears going in, and I think a lot of them were actually put to rest by, you know, Villeneuve and his the way he, the way he packaged it all. It's like such a fucking complex story, and I actually thought I left the theater like pretty, you know, pretty comfortable in like understanding what was going on. And I know there was a lot left on the cutting room floor. I know there was a lot, you know, he had to pick and choose uh, what he was going to include, and I thought he did a good job picking and choosing, and it was a, a blast to watch. I went into this. I, although this is things of that nature are of also my nature. Um, that feels like uh, if it is to be, then it shall be so. That feels like a fucking cousin Greg, cousin Greg way to say this. I, I like things like this, but Dune was a Dune is a gap for me. It's a black hole. I never read it. I never yeah. saw the David Lynch one. I don't. I did. I went into it not knowing anything about it outside of the sandworms. Uh, that's it. I only knew of them. I didn't even know what they did. So I walked out really loving this and I was fully on board for it in a lot of ways, because like when you get to like those planes that are like butterflies or like the yes. wasp planes, so I was like, I, I don't know how you're making this work, <laughs> but it fucking works. And I was so on board for it because I think Villeneuve is an unbelievable director uh, and I thought that, uh, uh, it, it did like that his, like the world building thing, uh, he did was incredible. Uh, but also I was, I feel like walking out what I thought it did really well, especially for like a giant sci-fi blockbuster was that like the visual storytelling of the movie, like the, that a lot was given to us to interpret rather than being told. And there were definitely some moments that were told, uh, but that it allowed, like it, 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 it didn't play down to its audience. It it was like, you are smart enough. You are smart enough to get what we're doing here. And I really liked that. I really fuck. I thought it was beautiful. And I just, I was blown away by it visually as an experience as well. Which is impressive when you're making a movie with that kind of budget that someone's looking to try to get a return on, right? It's just like, no, no, no. We're not going to dumb it down. We're going to make less people like it. Exactly. Can I I read the the first sentence of the plot? Yeah. Sure. In the far future, Duke Leto of House Atreides, ruler of the ocean planet Caledon, is assigned by the Padishah Emperor Shaddam Karina IV to replace House Harkonnen as fief rulers of Arrakis. And I'll just say, boy, hand up. I don't think I'm smart enough to, to understand what all's going on here. Like that's a, that's a high hurdle for your boy to get over. I don't get what's unclear about that. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, it seemed pretty straightforward to me. <laughs> like you need to pass out like some, some, some tree diagrams to me going sure. into the theater. You know, I, I need this stuff like where I can easily access it. And that's where, honestly, I think a book, I don't know if the book has this. I've not read the book, but like, you know, sometimes at the front of books, they'll have like character listings or just like some helpful reminders. That's what I felt like I needed watching this movie. It was like some resource. uh, 
you need like a quarterback wristband. Exactly. You can look that, at you can look at mid play and you could you could yes. kind of call plays from there. That's exactly Big Randy right. just shouting just shouting Omaha from the back exactly. of the theater. Exactly. I will last line first line last line first line desert power. That's the last line. I was like, all right, hell yeah, desert power. <laughs> but I I loved that moment. I was like super into that moment where. Uh, where uh was it Bardem was like he's toying with him and Rebecca yeah. uh what is her name the woman that played the mom Rebecca this is like the one celebrity crush that I have her um, real life name or her her real life name uh Rebecca Ferguson Rebecca Ferguson so that moment where Rebecca Ferguson is like he's never killed anyone like I thought that moment was incredibly yeah. effective that, that was cool I really liked that whole sequence. And then, uh, yeah, I, I, it definitely landed when it comes to like, uh, this one definitely landed for me, especially because of the fact that it balanced both being like a, a piece of art and a piece of fantastic filmmaking, as well as a a crowd pleasing gigantic movie that like has to hit and has to make money. Which I think goes back to your your point about kind of the erosion of the middle, right? Like if the more dunes are successful, I guess the more maybe it seems like that's possible, but yeah. also the more optimistic I get that they can also be good, right? And it's yes. not just going to be like just big and loud and dumb. This is going to be a few, this is going to be from a few years ago. Uh, so it might not be true anymore. Um, but if you want to hear one of the most depressing things you've ever heard uh, is that the general concept about like comedies uh, moving forward, people were like, why would I make a comedy when I could just make an action movie funnier? That yeah. is the general. So that's like a side note about my how depressing the world is. And uh, Dune makes me feel a little bit better about things just being big and crowd pleasing and also just good, just well made. Oh, go yeah. ahead. No, I was just going to say that fight scene at the end might be our uh, runner up to the Green Knights uh, fuck around and find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Randy, I think underline in it question, would you go see the sequel? I should think it, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was good enough. Um, it, it wasn't like absurd or too sci-fi for me. So I will for sure go see the next one when it comes out. What, what more can you ask for? There you exactly. go. Exactly. And I want to be very clear. I did not not like the movie. It just... It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And I think, honestly, I need to rewatch it. it. It probably will be a lot better on the rewatch for me. Well, I think our, our next nominee is a little more self-contained. Belfast. Which is Belfast. Yeah. Gosh. How, how do I start out? The, so, uh, Chronicles, the, the life of the working class Ulster Protestant family. Um through the perspective of their nine-year-old son named uh, Buddy, obviously during the Troubles in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Sort of a black and white movie. I DJ, one thing that you said very early on after watching this has just stuck with me, and I think it's so apt. I'm sorry if I'm going to steal your thunder here, but you're like... I think I stole it from someone else as well. Well, you were just like, I can't believe like all the people are so beautiful in this movie. <laughs> and- Everybody's way too hot. <laughs> Everybody is so hot. Uh, you had told me that before I saw the movie and then the whole time I'm sitting in the movie this was another one I saw with my mom Uh, I was just like laughing to myself like oh my god yeah these people are gorgeous like they're beautiful people (laughs) which I gotta give a shout out to uh, a a friend of mine Tom Alter who's a a favorite movie discusser of mine and 
he was pointing, I made that same joke to him and he was pointing, I was like, you know, though, like the one thing about that take is like this whole entire movie is basically this kid looking back on his childhood. Right. And it's like, no wonder his parents are so hot. No wonder his dad just like breaks into this like dreamlike Elvis singing sequence. No wonder like, what is it? It's like very, uh, it's been a while since I saw it, but it's very like Pleasantville style. Right. When the, when the, uh, when he's in the movie theater, things pop into color, like things like that, you know, there's kind of these, all these like dreamlike sequence uh, included in this movie, which was totally not my thinking as I was watching it, as I'm thinking about, or as I'm watching it, I'm thinking like, Oh, this is a straight down the middle, you know, beginning, middle and end. Here's the story of this kid's childhood. And it seems like there was a lot more kind of dimensions to it, which is really cool. I really like Belfast. I mean, it's, it's one I, I wouldn't say I've thought about it a ton since I, since I saw it, but I really enjoyed it. Great performances. Uh, very interesting story. It's a piece of history that, you know, as every year that g- kind of goes by, it's, it's one of those things I always mean to learn more about and just haven't really taken a deep plunge or read the right book or any of that stuff. So it was a good reminder to, to do that, uh, to educate myself a little more on a, a part of history that I don't know very much about. Um, and it was just, I, I wouldn't say two thumbs up, one and a half thumbs up. Uh, to Belfast. I, I'm glad it existed. Glad I saw it. I, I was going to say the same. That was like the big note that I had at the very beginning was, and I'm glad that it wasn't just me, or I, maybe I'm just glad that I feel smart like other smart people, is that I did notice at one point, and it was when the preacher was doing like the sort of fire and brimstone, like Protestants, you will die. And you, and then, yeah. you know, he does this sweaty, uh, you know, like spit is coming out and sweat is pouring down his his face and at the end and he he goes now money and like that is (laughs) such a reductive way of looking at religion and it's not very subtle and that's when i clued into the thing of like oh like this is this is a nine-year-old's memory this is what this is how everything looked to a nine-year-old and that sort of did put the movie in some different perspective uh, in a different perspective for me and that it wasn't my favorite on the list, but I thought there were a lot of great moments like that of like, of we are dealing with memory and we are dealing with what this incredibly complex thing looked like to a nine-year-old and what was important to a nine-year-old in this time. Um, and so that part of it, I really liked. And I thought like, but I think uh, this might be another one that, you know, it's written and directed as like a memory piece by Kenneth Branagh, basically, right? It's about like his childhood. Mm -hmm. And again, I thought it would be like another thing, like the, how close he was to the story and how close, like I felt like it could have maybe had a, a more clear through line of like what we were focusing on. Like, should we be focusing on his grandmother? Should we be focusing on his, uh, should we be focusing on his uh, his dad or his grandfather or his mom's work or, or you know, his mom's decision whether or not to leave? And it kind of seemed like, you know, everything was so important to him, which it should be. That's his life. Every single part of it is immensely important. But I felt like the movie might have been better if we really just drilled down on one thing that was incredibly important about it. Does that make sense? Sure. Definitely. Great, great performance from the grandparents as well. Oh, yeah. Loved watching the I did have a Judy Dench to God uh, <laughs> <note> here. <laughs> the, 
that I was going to say that that was my favorite dynamic or kind of um, storylines where it was everything that the grandparents were involved in. I, I really, really enjoyed. Um, I, I had a note if anybody is looking for, you know, if, if this book touches some interest in the troubles, there's a great book I read uh, two years ago called Say Nothing by Patrick Radden Keith that it explores the troubles uh, through a couple different stories and just fascinating. I, I, it's been such a blind spot for me in my own knowledge that learning about it and, um, you know, getting to know it a little bit better is, it has been, uh, I, I very much, uh, enjoy doesn't seem like the right word, but I feel better for, for knowing more about the troubles. DJ, I'll, the final thing, like I, I'm with you, like super glad I saw this movie and it was like a really enjoyable movie going experience. And I, w- I, I would watch it again for sure, but it just doesn't have that is going to like get inside me and grab me and, and really affect me like, like other movies would sure. or have done. So I, I, I could see it. I mean, it looks like it's third on the odd sheet right now for what that's worth, but it kind of feels like one of those could be a, a safe, yeah. a safe best picture winner, you know, kind of a, uh, maybe not an overwhelming favorite in the field. Maybe you get just kind of a consensus of the middle sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I also want to throw in about Belfast. I didn't, this sticks out to me very rarely. I didn't love the soundtrack. I felt like the needle drops didn't hit yeah. me in the right way. That was just me. And I would have, I, I liked the moments where you have a, a kid who is like, you know, I noticed it, um, you know, when he's like watching a Christmas Carol with his, with his grandmother uh, and when they're watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and they're watching Xan, is it Xanadu? Uh, all like, um, like the things that pop in color are movies and theater for him. And so obviously that's going to be like grandma specific of sort of like, oh, we're learning about what I just kind of wanted those to be a little bit more specific, I guess. Like I, I I thought maybe like you know using the color like the the color to desaturate at the beginning, and then using it for Xanadu, and then using it for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, and then using it for A Christmas Carol. I thought I would have like wanted less. I wanted those to be more pointed. Sure, you know what I mean. That's yeah. Fair. I'm also pretty clear that he's letting us know the first time he ever jerked off was to Xanadu. <laughs> Like that is like when we're talking about it, like uh, it, he was like, oh, no, that's staying in. <laughs> like, it's pretty clear where our man learned about it. Oh, God. Kenneth Branagh, your boy. Next up on the list is West Side Story. I've made my opinion known. I do not like it. I can expand on that, but also want, want to hear your guys's opinions. Steven Spielberg, 2021 remake, obviously, of, of, of the classic uh, I will hand up. I'll say I never had seen the original movie. I had never seen it as a play. So this was my first experience with the story and the, the music and all of that. Um, so yeah, uh, sharks and jets, you know, should we pick sides? I, I think, I think I found myself more rooting for the sharks. I thought they were a little cooler, but I don't know. I, I I'm going to hand up. I don't remember which is which. <laughs> I think the Jets are the the Irish guys. Yeah, the, the Irish or Italian? I think they're Italian. Are they Italian? I think they might be Italian. <laughs> I 
I will say you're this. a jet. You're a jet. I think it's yeah, that's what I know. That's I know the, that if you're a jet, you're a jet. You're a jet. The all the first time, time hearing of this. Yeah. The I thought they were Irish. I thought they were Irish. <laughs> I definitely I, don't think they're Irish. <laughs> oh man. Maybe I, I, yeah. Maybe this movie flew. Maybe over my missed head. the whole movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this is one of those ones where it's Steven Spielberg. The man doesn't miss. Like he does things. He does not do things poorly. Like, and so I think for me looking at it, I think the biggest thing that I came away from it was, is that I, I wished I had known a little bit more and this is embarrassing. I just don't know a lot about Steven Sondheim. Like when he passed away earlier last year or earlier this year, and they had a lot of retrospectives, there are just a lot of gaps in my knowledge about not only Steve, uh, Stephen Sondheim, but about West Side Story in general. This is the first version of West Side Story I've ever seen. So, uh, albeit that as I was watching it, there were moments that I thought uh, where I was, when I was watching it, where I was like, oh, that moment absolutely murders if you are seeing this in person at a theater. Yeah. And, and, there, and I think that there was something lost in translation from uh, what, what works and is magical in a theater space to working as a film. And I don't, I just think that that might be a, a consequence of it being a musical. And you're supposed to kind of see that in a live setting and transferring it to film, like just some might not work as well because it can't be Steven Spielberg. Like the dude, it, he's one of the greatest that's ever lived. You know what I mean? Totally. That's kind of where I'm kind of what I said about King Richard, where it's like, Listen, man, do I think you could have like given this to someone else and it would have been better? Like, hell no. No, I think that's like the best possible, yeah, possible version of like what this is. I thought like it was shot in a really, really cool way. I thought all the costumes were beautiful, all the actors were good. It's just, yeah, I don't really love like the story. I don't really love the music, is not very good. I'm and I'm not some like musical uh you know, librarian here, but I, I, I like musicals and I've yeah. definitely had the experience of when you leave a musical, like singing the songs and, you know, there's a couple of those moments in West Side Story, but largely it's just like not my favorite music. And, uh, it just was, yeah, it kind of felt like a bit of a slog to be honest there. I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Randy. Well, my, my biggest, um, what if, or like, I wish, like, I wish they would have modernized it. Like, like make West Side Story of the modern age. If, if you're going to do a whole remake of something, I don't know why they kept the same story and the same language and the, you know, I, it, it just, I, I, I guess I just don't quite understand what the, the, the ultimate point is. That's fair. Fair. I, for me, I don't think the, I feel like if you modernize it, then you all of a sudden, then you get into like, you know, why doesn't Maria just text Tony to say <laughs> I'm still alive? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know what I mean? Sure. Like a lot of it, like you run up against that thing. And I think that there was at the time, like, I, I think that there is a timelessness about the story, like about immigrant stories, but that this, but that very specific one about, you know, tenement or, or low income housing being raised for the future of Manhattan and bad neighborhoods in Manhattan, like that, it kind of had to be then. Um, I, I don't, 
<laughs> Today it would be about Denver and then putting up. Yeah, Raymond. right now it'd be about Denver and about uh about the about you know what was torn down so that the Alamo draft house could have been built. Um I, I after ruminating on it, after sitting it with sitting with it for a while, my memory of it is I think maybe more enjoyable than as I was watching it in that, like, as I was well said more and more, I actually like, there were moments like I, as I was watching it, uh, the riff and Bernardo or Bernando, Bernardo, I, Bernardo, I thought those two actors were fucking incredible. So like shouts to like musical theater, Victor Hovland playing (laughs) riff. And he actually did a phenomenal job. And I thought that they were incredibly captivating. And the woman that played Anita, the more and more I thought about her, her journey from somebody who is singing about how like that America song about like, you know, everything's possible in America and all this, like, she is like somebody who is like, I am never going back. Like, this is like, here is the dream that I have, like the beauty of where I live. And to think about how at the end, she has like, you have turned this place to shit and I'm going back. Like that to me is an incredibly tragic storyline uh, that my memory of that is like, oh man, that's fucking powerful. Like my memory of it, it, it but it, weirdly it didn't land as I was watching it or I was like, oh, like that would have played really well in a theater. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's that's well said. I had, I had nothing to add on that. I, I felt I felt very, very similarly. Would love to see it on stage sometime and and compare the two. To me, it really lit up when you. For me, it really lit up when you saw dancers dancing. Yes, and I know I went. Holy shit! When they started dancing, I was like, "That is unfathomable that people are able to do that." Yeah. Um, that was really when it sailed for me. Uh, I big T was was. Sorry, you have seen it on on stage. No, I haven't seen it. This is the first version of West Side Story I've ever seen. Okay. There were just moments where there were moments that as I was watching them, I was like, if I were seeing that moment in a theater, that would have killed. Like there was a specific riff moment when sort of toward the beginning where Riff is like talking to Tony as Tony's like unpacking cans and stuff like that. Riff has like a, a like a line that would be that would just kill in a theater, but it, it landed a little bit with a thud in a movie. Because my question was going to be: Is the music in the movie pretty much the same as it is on stage? Because I think that's my other, and this is a very selfish uh, take, I guess, was like the music not being catchy at all. Or like none of the songs I recognized even, you know, some of these other musicals that I haven't seen necessarily, I still have heard the songs or I know the tunes, right? And I didn't have that with West Side Story. And so that was just disappointing, I guess, personally, was like, I didn't find the music that catchy or that, I don't know, I hate to say good, but it it just didn't appeal to me, I guess. I, I, I think that there is something about maybe our individual lack of Steven Sondheim knowledge that is going to play against us in that way. And that I do think Steven Sondheim was trying different stuff. He was trying not necessarily to be the sort of straight ahead jazz hands, Broadway (laughs) musical guy. And, and so I think there was probably for me, definitely because I don't know about him. I don't know a lot about him. I went in kind of expecting that. And when it wasn't, I was like, Oh wait, what, like what's going on here? 
And I think that just comes from like hand up my lack of knowledge about his career and his uh, general work history. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was going to say, I think our, our uh, a bit of an echo chamber of We're, experience from the panelists here as well might yeah. factor into that. I know there are absolutely people who just ride for West Side Story, who love the music, uh, who love, you know, the the immigrant story of it. And listen, are you going to get that from uh, the three blokes on this podcast? Hand up, probably no. not. And no. I would love to hear from some of those people why they felt that way. I just, I'm obviously wouldn't uh, trick anybody into, into, uh, presenting myself as one of them. I just, I didn't really resonate with me, but I would love to hear why other people loved it. Um, just, just last thing too, I just didn't seem very human. Maria's reaction on the news that like her lover <laughs> murdered her, her brother. Just it seemed like she just removed herself from the whole situation. It seemed a bit. Yeah. Sociopathic, psychopathic, <laughs> whatever it is. And you know, I, I just can't sleep on that. That's that to me is a thing where I feel like you forgive that if you're seeing it in a theater because you understand the limitations, the physical limitations and the time limitations that you have of being in a theater. You're not expecting it to make sense moment to moment. It's about the entire feeling. It's about like, and so that's a moment where I'm like, yeah, like in a, in an actual theater watching a musical, you don't clock that. Um, and again, shout out to Blank Check. That this was something that uh, they talked about horror movies at one time using the term like nightmare logic. Like sometimes the logic of things don't make sense. But when you think of like a horror movie, horror movie through the, the lens of nightmare logic, it does make sense. Um, I feel like if you look at that through the lens of the fucking horniest 15 year olds you've ever met, like, yeah, I don't care if you killed my brother. All I'm thinking about is the fucking good dick. You know what I mean? Like, so like, if you think about it through that lens of just like boss level horniness, uh, like, <laughs> like truly Manhattan flattening levels of horniness, <laughs> then maybe it starts to make sense. I need you getting there, big. I need you in that mindset. <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I just want to throw this one last thing out. This is just the one note that sticks out to me is uh, uh, Chino, uh, big incel energy going on sure. there. Big Definitely. fucking speaking yeah. of the speaking of, uh, of the Batman, maybe two sides of the same coin. <laughs> uh, big incel energy going on with uh, the some murderers there. Uh I also, I, I think it, it's worth for the sake of transparency. I don't think Randy liked when the people tried to cancel Ansel Elgort because that's his boy. <laughs> so i know that's looming large over not only this production and the release of this film but also randy's perspective on this movie thank you yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to kind of keep it to the the work of art itself but i appreciate <laughs> you saying that dj sure no worries <laughs> um all right next up i think this is gonna be a i've been looking forward to this discussion licorice pizza the mm. paul thomas anderson uh film it is dj i'm, I'm gonna kick it right to you just just kind of your general synopsis of of what it's about and then if you want to get into to your feelings on it <laughs> tough assignment since i don't know that it's really about anything yeah. uh, but i would say <laughs> that you know if you're gun to my head I, I guess it's about growing up in the valley uh in la in the late 70s uh, and really, it's kind of a, a collection of of memories from our our main character Gary about 
some of the uh, the run-ins that you know he had with people in the film industry, with people in other industries, and with really kind of coming of age at a weird time in a weird place. Uh, and I think the you know the hyper specific plot uh, or, or the kind of you know what you build the trailer around is really the kind of romance, non-romance, friendship uh, with a woman uh, who is much his senior, played by Alana Haim, uh, who's a twenty-five-year-old. 26 year old 26 year old i think she's 25 25 year old uh so kind of 10 years older than her uh or than uh, gary gary's a 15 year old kid when when they first meet and uh kind of a a strong amount of chemistry between the two of them and gary uh trying to make that into kind of a sexual chemistry and alana trying to just kind of you know figure out whether it's weird or not that she uh, is so she's at such an aimless point in her life that she's hanging out with a bunch of teenage boys. And uh, it's a movie by Paul Thomas Anderson. Like you said, uh, I would say probably far and away my favorite working director these days, uh, a a director Tim has worked for. So obviously has much better perspective (laughs) than I do uh, on him. So uh, maybe I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Tim. What, what do you love about Paul Thomas Anderson, assuming that you love his work and uh, what can you tell us about him? I mean, that's, I mean, that's such a big question because I love, because I do love the movies that he make. He makes like, uh, like Boogie Nights when I first saw it in college, obviously, uh, like every movie that he makes, I look forward to it coming out. Phantom Thread. I'm, I'm with you, Randy. I was one of those people laughing, just laughing oh, my head off during Phantom Thread. It's good. unbelievably funny. And we should mention I mean, you were, you were in Inherent Vice. Yes. So I was in Inherent Vice and one thing that I learned from that, and my biggest takeaway from that experience was it like, uh, and we had talked about this before. My takeaway was it doesn't matter. I thought I was going to walk in and Paul Thomas Anderson was going to tell me literally every single thing I should do because he seems like such a specific filmmaker and that he knows exactly what he wants. But I think he is a person who rely, who not only knows what he wants, but is willing to let it all kind of happen and be a little aimless and have it wander and explore things. And I, I don't think I was expecting that. And so I think my biggest takeaway was it doesn't matter who it is, like make a bunch of decisions and present them to the director. And if the director doesn't like them, they'll change them. And so there was a big like learning curve for me on that. But when it comes, I, I love the fact that that he is somebody who through amazing work has allowed himself the ability to make a movie like this, which essentially does not have a plot. And the storyline is not only not uh, universal, it doesn't even seem like it's specific to him. Like, I don't know, but it doesn't mean that it's bad. Like it is such a weirdly specific thing that it's almost like you can just project anything you want onto it. And just going off what you said, DJ, I actually think that the movie is like, I I think everything you said was exactly right. You just have to flip the characters, that it is a coming of age story for Alana Heim's character, that she is actually the main character of that movie. And Gary is sort of an ancillary thing that allows her to grow up in a way. And I, I thought that it was very Paul Thomas Anderson-y in that tonally it, it was a bunch of different things and that it was 
it, it seemed to meander and wander, but was also incredibly well-made and incredibly well-performed and incredibly well-shot. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's one of those totally. guys where he's just like, make a tone poem about the <laughs> Valley, about like a relation, a 10 year age gap, like yeah. of a teenage love story between a 25 year old and a 15 year old and have it totally work and actually get a wide release. Like it's incredible. Totally. And, and I think that's probably the, the biggest pushback. I think the two biggest pushbacks probably that I've heard from people. And again, I'll, I'll say up front, I, I was probably, you know, 98% already in the bag for this movie before uh-huh. I yeah, even yeah, saw yeah. it. Right. So <laughs> take, you know, don't listen to anything I'm saying. Cause it's wildly, wildly biased. But, uh, I think the biggest pushbacks are, are the one the people who maybe not super familiar with his work who kind of leave the theater and just like, what the fuck was that? Like, what, yeah. That wasn't about anything. What are we doing? <laughs> uh, which Randy, by the way, you're laughing. May, may, you may be one of those people. I don't know. And then I think the other thing was like, wait a minute. Like, are we going to talk about like, this is kind of fucked up, right? Like, like the fifth, you know, he's 15, she's 25. She's like 25. Are we, yeah. we going to talk about that? And I think the best kind of pushback, the first, first part, I have no pushback other than like, yeah, maybe it's just now for you. That's fine. Yes, totally fine. And the second part, uh, I think the biggest pushback on that, I guess I could I could kind of offer if if it was my place to offer such a pushback would be uh, kind of like almost like Belfast, right? Where it's like what we're watching here, I think, is Gary's memories of a bunch of stuff, right? And I think it's it's based. If you listen to any interviews that PTA has done around this, it's it's based around a real life person that he knew, uh, Gary, I can't remember his last name, but, uh, just kind of one of these legendary Hollywood people who was just in LA from the time he was a kid to the time he, you know, retired. And he would just kind of sit around at coffee shops, bars, meetings, whatever. And just like tell all these old stories about like, Oh yeah. You know, for that one summer I was on the set with Lucille ball. And then, Oh no. Then I was like, selling waterbeds. I had this whole scam going when I was selling waterbeds. And then I ran into this person. We had this big confrontation and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's what PTA seems like he's setting out to do in this movie is just this big kind of collection of somewhat nonspecific memories kind of jumbled up almost in like a dreamlike type sequence to where I'm almost, I'm not going to say I'm not taking the age gap like at face value, but it almost seems like it's exaggerated for Gary's, like in Gary's mind or, or for his benefit, right? Where it's like he almost sees himself as like a, a much older person courting a much older person. Whereas, uh, you know, the movie kind of almost presents it much more similar to how, how it looked. You, you know what I'm saying? It's almost a weird kind of disconnect uh, or, or cognitive dissonance a little bit. I would agree with that in that like the age gap doesn't really matter or at least from my perspective, the age gap doesn't really matter because this is not real. We're not actually watching a real story. And in a way, Gary is much older than he actually is. And Alana, uh, what's the character's name? Uh, Alana. Alana. Oh, it is? Oh, shit. Okay. Um, So Alana is so much younger. And that's one of the things, like, I I wasn't taking notes because I saw it in the theater, but, like, one of the things that I kind of loved about her performance was that Which was her every, first movie, by the way. First movie. And fucking just, amazing. Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. She's awesome. <laughs> she's so much younger when she's hanging out with Gary. 
And then whenever she's and the the few times that you see her with people her own age, she's so much older. It's like a easiest transformation that I don't even know if she was aware of her doing it. But there's that scene where she's like, do you think it's weird that I'm hanging out with Gary and his 15 year old friends all the time? Because I think it's weird that I hang out with Gary and his 15 year old friends all the time. She's so much older in that scene, but whenever she's with Gary, she is, she's a child, like their age gap. I think maybe their age gap is truly a year yeah, maturity wise. Right. And, but again, it's not real. It it doesn't, it's not a, it's not a movie that's telling you a real story in a way. Going back to your uh, first line, last line thing. I I need to watch it again. I saw it in a theater, uh, had a blast. Maybe uh, that would be on the short list as well of most fun theater experiences I had, but I almost, so she says, I believe the last line is like, I love you, Gary, I think. Yeah. And it all, the way it sounds, I need to watch it again, but the way it sounds is almost like, like tipping the hand that like this whole thing is in his head, right? Like it sounds so like dreamlike. And so it's like, it has so many like uh, audio effects on it to make it sound almost like sparkly to the point where I'm just like, Oh no, like he's, he's making all this stuff up like that never happened. Yeah. You know, and, and I hope I, I kind of hope that's, that's the end. And I hope I didn't just totally whiff on that, but uh, I really loved that. If so already, man, I'm looking forward to going back and watching this again from that perspective. And that I went into it being like, this is a movie about her and about her story. And if you look at it from that, I'm interested to see that. Randy, what'd you think? Well, you've made me appreciate it and given me some, some things to think about. That, that make me also want to see it again. I, I think it is the movie, the type of movie, very easy and we'll look forward to watching it again. Um, I found it to be a very fun movie, right? It's, it's, it's like laugh out loud funny in, in a lot of parts. Some of the, the bit characters and lesser characters are exceptional, I thought. You probably should have included Bradley Cooper on that list of most fun actors to watch. Oh my God. This yeah. Year. And yeah. the fact that he didn't get a supporting actor that is, feels like a disgrace. Oh my God. He's so good. He's so good in this movie. <laughs> well, I, I it just completely out. comes out of nowhere. It's just the whole thing rules. Yeah. yeah. The homie, uh, Skylar Gisondo, the, the guy who <laughs> plays Lance. From, uh, Righteous Gemstones. Oh my God. He just yeah. kills me. So yeah. fucking good. Yeah. And he's so good in that, like, uh, the role of it's kind of what he plays in Righteous Gemstones too, or just like a really polished, Precocious. trying to be so yeah. mature and. Which again, uh, ju- juxtapose that with everything Tim just said about Alana, right? Where it's like you have this, this, yeah. you know, maybe older, maybe younger type of person who's just kind of acting down or acting up based on the the scenario, and then you see kind of the reverse of it every time Lance comes into the picture, and he just tries to act like a forty two year old man. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the homie Lance and I are on uh, uh, Fairfax together. He plays Dale, the main character. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an Fairfax animated great. show. I've, uh, yeah, I was enjoying watching that. Oh, Big T, I don't watch animated shows, but maybe I have to change that to watch uh, to watch Fairfax. Check it out. It's about streetwear culture in L.A. <laughs> that's your world, Randy. Yeah, that's your if, uh, Supreme, your boy. <laughs> All right. Well, if you see if you see Skyler, tell him tell him I'm a fan. I will. I thought too, it was delightful to learn that Alana's family in the movie is her actual real life family. I yeah. think that's, that's very cool. I've also um, just been listening to a lot of Heim lately too. And just, yeah, massive fan. I think Underrated. where I, I think where my like 
bottom line, at least right now, or, or when I finished watching it the first time was like, that was really fun. And I'm glad I watched that. And I also think I might forget about it in like a pretty short amount of time. Um, and I think fair or not, I naturally juxtapose it against like Paul Thomas Anderson's other works. And it just mm-hmm. didn't have that, that oomph that I felt watching some of his other works. Which I think is really interesting. If you look back at his kind of career now, I mean, he, he makes heavy, heavy, heavy ass movies. And this feels again, listening to a bunch of interviews with him. He's got youngish kids, kind of like, you know, teenagers and uh, kind of kids in that, like not middle age, but I don't know what the, the right, like the middle of childhood, you know, and he just seems like he's in a, a very optimistic kind of place. I already I've mentioned him being delighted by Venom 2 already. Uh, <laughs> but I think like it, it is very interesting, Randy. I, I kind of felt the same thing where it's like, all right, this is my favorite filmmaker making a very, a, a much more positive film. And it's funny to hear you say, because I think I largely agree. It doesn't have as much oomph as when he just is trying to get sucked <laughs> down into the like soulless nihilistic mud. Uh, which is where I'm kind of like, yeah, I think like I, I can relate to that a little bit. I, Wait, maybe I, I, that speaks to like us too. Yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I, it was great to see him flex another muscle. I mean, I think he, like Tim was saying, there's, there's very, very few people who can go in and like pitch this, uh, incredibly weird non story, uh, and have it come out in a, in a massive release. And I, celebrate wildly the fact that he's like his North star seems to just be like, no, no, no. All I want to do is just like something that has never been done before. That's my only, my only goal. And that's like, man, what an admirable, admirable way to go about it. No, it really is. And I think that's the thing, like whether or not a movie, like whether or not you think the movie works or not, I'm just so happy it exists because he really is just like, I don't even know if he pitches a movie. He just says, Hey, I'm going to make a movie. And people are like, what's it about? And he's like, I don't know. Fuck you. (laughs) Like, what do you mean? What's it about? I don't know. We'll go to set and we'll figure it out. Like, yeah, I wrote something, but who the fuck knows? Like, I just like, we're, I think we like, we live in a world where everybody seems to have to like, they, everybody's like, okay, well, how can we make this into like an entire franchise of, of like 18 spinoffs? And he's like, fuck you. I don't know. It's a 25 year old and a 15 year old. And I know I'm not going to tell you who the main character is. You know what I mean? Like, it's fucking amazing. Oh, no, no. Check, check it out. I wrote it for these two actors who have never acted before. Have never must acted know. Before. Yeah, no, they've never nope. been in movies before. But no, I guess I've known them since they were little kids. I think they'll be good. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, yeah, it's going to be real expensive. Shout- yeah, exactly. Which, of course, we need to give a shout out to uh, uh, Cooper Hoffman. Right is his name, I believe. Yeah, the, yes. uh, yep. Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, the the frequent frequent uh, PTA collaborator, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, I mean, it's just it's so fucking awesome watching him in this movie. You can see all his dad's mannerisms. You can see his dad's charisma. I mean, it's just it's the best. And they don't cover him up with like a bunch of makeup. He's just got acne all over his face. Yeah. He looks like a fifteen year old kid. Like it's just. It's the best, man. It, it is such a non-Hollywood, big Hollywood movie. Uh, just everything about it is just put a, a pretty massive, pretty massive smile on my face. And Randy, I also think there there is uh, plenty of dark cynicism in there. Should you uh, be looking for it? I, I remember listening to him. I think it was on the Simmons podcast, maybe. Uh, and he was going on about like being on set and some of the like dark, um, like the darkness of the nostalgia in the movie and how a lot of the younger actors were seeing things like these like pinball like the pop-up kind of pinball arcades and just this idea of like man none of this stuff 
exist anymore. And they were all so like depressed by this idea of just like, man, you used to have just like a, a cool, like safe place with like basically no rules to just hang out and do whatever you want. Like, yeah, that doesn't really exist anymore. Like, man, I wish we had that. And like, I think there's a bunch of those things in this movie as well. So I think viewed through that lens, Rainy can still be, you know, plenty depressing. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, it's also Chuck, pretty depressing. Sh- if you think about the fact that all of those people will eventually die, both the <laughs> actors and characters. So if you want to look at it and just, if you're looking for depression, it's easy to find. That's true. Big T. I, yeah. I appreciate that. No problem. Whiffs of the gas shortage. Oh, that, my God. You know, yeah, of that nature. yeah. Oh, my God. Also, like the most exciting, uh, one of the most exciting sequences of the entire year is that truck going oh backwards God. downhill. How the fuck? I'm like, it's so exciting. Speaking I was, of Sorcerer. Anybody who liked that scene, go watch Sorcerer. Go watch Sorcerer. Two hours. The whole fucking movie is that. <laughs> yeah. That did, that did give me a little anxiety. Like, oh, my God, are the brakes going to fail? Like, what what's going to happen here? And then what's what's so good, there's like, I remember people saying this about uh, Boyhood when it came out, is you're just watching that whole scene and you're like, oh my God, something horrible is going to happen. They're going to run into a gas truck. They're going to do like this. is, And then it just kind of, you know, if you look at childhood, you look at memories like, yeah, no, most of the time it's totally fine. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like I know you think something horrible is going to happen, but like, no, that's not how it went. It was yeah. just, you know, it, it was fine. And we just walked back to the car. It, it is a little head scratching. And I, I hearing you kind of talk about how it's almost like a, a, I don't know, dream sequence. Or I was like, you know, how, how are they building out first this whole <laughs> waterbed studio on seemingly a moment's notice? And then, uh-huh. oh, wait, they've built out this whole pinball palace on a moment's notice. Like these kids are like 15 years old. I That was... I, I suspended like reality a little bit with, with that stuff too. Um, That's again, like you think back to like dumb stuff that you and your friends did. It was never like the minutia of the planning of how you, you know, how yeah. you got into those things, how you actually built the bike ramp. You just remember, you know, breaking your arm. Yeah. The bike ramp. You know, it's uh, I think it's, it's kind of that times a thousand. So I'm, I'm with you, Tim. I'm dying to watch it again. Kind of knowing a little bit more about what to expect. You know what? One thing about all these, this is just one thing that I'm just going to, this is a general thing. I fucking love movies. Movies are fucking <laughs> awesome. And one of the reasons is, is that in all, like every time we've gotten into this world where it was like, oh, that movie wasn't good because it didn't make sense. And there is that thing where like going back and being like, it was Paul Thomas Anderson. Maybe it didn't all work, but like the guy doesn't do shit wrong. He you know what I mean? He didn't it's, not think about that. He didn't not think about it. It might not have worked, but it wasn't that he didn't think about it. Right. Like, and that's the cool thing is that you go back, like, all, like when we talk about like the nightmare logic and horror movies, it, like if a movie's well-made, like, I, I just love that. I just love that. That is sort of like, if, if there is a well-made movie, it's, we can have this conversation because the artist behind it put in thought and work. And I love that. Movies are fucking awesome. <laughs> Mahalo, Tim. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Movies, your boy. <laughs> um, all right. Well, shall we move on? Yes. All right. Next up, don't look up. This is um, the Adam McKay, uh, directed by Adam McKay, starring Leo, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Jonah Hill. Really, really superstar cast. Um I'm a big Adam McKay fan. I'm a big Leo fan. I'm a big Jennifer Lawrence fan. 
I I didn't hate this movie, but I think it was like it's just okay. I it didn't do there were some very funny moments for me. DJ, I think what you said earlier, like, hey, if we're only gonna get one Leo movie every so many years, um, it's like I want it to be awesome. And I think this falls a little short of that. So I, I guess that's where I start. I, I think my big like takeaway is I almost feel bad saying it, but just a little bit of disappointment, I guess, in in the final product. Totally. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I it felt very, very stuck in the middle between like, is it, you know, and I'm not saying it has to be all one thing or all the other, but you know, is it is it Anchorman or is it Armageddon, you know? And like I, I love the idea of trying to blend those those two things, but it just ended up getting like missing on both sides of the spectrum almost like the absurd just became so absurd that it almost like wasn't funny to me and not to be like, what's funny and what's not guy, but that's how I was. Uh, and then the, the serious stuff just got so serious that it was like, well, I thought we were just laughing about how stupid and absurd this was. And I don't know, I guess, I mean, maybe that's the point. Obviously the, the whole thing is, it's not about uh, an asteroid. Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? It, yeah, no, I, I know. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess the whole point is kind of like we can joke until, you know, the, the house blows up or, or I guess more specifically gets swept away by some sort of superstorm. But, uh, yeah, it just didn't. I don't know. It just it gets I felt this way about Vice. I felt this way about kind of everything except for the big short, uh, which I loved. And it just ends up getting so preachy and so clever and so like kind of just a little too cute. And it, it ends up just falling pretty flat for me. So it was mucho, mucho, not my thing. I, I thought to, sorry, Tim, I, let me no, just insert ahead. this and then I'll give you the floor. I, I thought this movie was in the grand scheme of things, right? Like in this times we live in where I guess like climate change is a debatable topic. I don't see it changing anybody's mind. I think the people that watch this are probably largely fall on the side of like, yeah, we should probably take climate change seriously. I'm I'm with you, dog. And and do something (laughs) about it. (laughs) Already made the sale. And I have to think a lot of people who like easily just skip past this movie are are probably people that, from my perspective, I would like to to have seen watch it. Um, The one thing, the one lingering question for me was, and this is like impossible, but had he been able to make this movie eight years ago when I feel like climate change was still a little bit more and just coming into our consciousness. Right. I, I almost feel like the timing of the movie now uh, works against it for me a little bit. That's interesting. Tim, what do you think? Ultimately, I don't think that this worked for me. And I am also a big fan of Adam McKay. I was a huge fan of Big Short. I thought the Big Short was incredibly well done. And I think that, again, I mean, like, I am a huge fan of movies and I'm a huge fan of <laughs> nobody likes movies more than me. <laughs> nobody like nobody likes movies more than me. I uh, am a huge fan of subtlety in movies. And I also am a big fan, as I spoke of earlier, that Benedict Cumberbatch is jamming a six foot <laughs> uncircumcised dick of a fence post into the ground in between his legs. So I'm also a big fan of shit that is not subtle at all. But I think the lack of subtlety in this one just didn't land on the right side for me. And I think the things that I really loved, like the moment where Leo finds out 
when he does all the calculations and he gets to like 0.0 and he like erases it. I, I like, I loved that moment. Yeah. And I feel like this happens in a, this happens in a lot of movies that are, I, I don't know that movies about something like climate change as a broad umbrella topic work in that ultimately movies have to be about movies have to be about the people in them. And I, this ended up, I think to me, this just ended up kind of being about climate change umbrella. But what we really need is a story at the center of it that, uh, that it's so that it's not about climate change as an umbrella. I totally, and- totally agree with you. And I think that the, the fact like some of the best stuff in the movie is like the media criticism and the kind of cult of personality stuff. And a lot of the stuff that I I'm guessing, I don't know when this was written, but you know, almost kind of, I don't know if they did this on purpose or not, but almost kind of poking a little bit of fun at like the Fauci stuff of the pandemic and just like, you know, well, like this massive problem just turns into like a, you know, almost like a celebrity uh, story to follow. I thought that stuff was like really, really good. And then the, the movie just kind of like spirals out from there and tries to do like 15 other things. And Jonah Hill was like really, really funny, but I don't know, like that would have made a ton more sense in like idiocracy, which is a movie I love. Uh, and then like, I don't know why Chalamet was even in the movie other than like, he's just sweet. Uh, and maybe they just had, you know, he said yes, and they wanted to use him, but like that all made no sense at all. Uh, it just, I, ugh, I don't know. It, it just, it, it ends up trying to, I, I'm with you, Randy. It's a, it's a lot of preaching to the converted, I think, and almost like dunking on people like who aren't going to fucking watch the movie in the first place. Cause you turn them off in the first five minutes, you know, and it, it just that comes across as like very smarmy and trying to like almost kind of savory and trying to help all these people when you know like they're not going to watch this movie anyways because of kind of the way you went about it which is kind of how i felt about vice too was like dude i I, like i'm with you on all this like you know bad bad stuff but like nobody dislikes dick cheney more than me (laughs) nobody likes movies more than me and nobody dislikes (laughs) dick cheney more than i do but when you like blatantly change a bunch of the facts as well like dude you're just kind of given given all these people ammo to like discredit everything you're saying right and it just it, it tries to almost it seems like it almost tries to be like a uh like no 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 this this topic's so big that we're gonna bring everybody into the tent by pointing out how absurd it is and instead you just make it like super partisan by turning off like half the people that would you know need to hear it quote unquote so that's just i don't know it's not not my thing I've recommended this to you guys before. I think when it comes to like uh, a movie that uh, manages to both be incredibly personal, very specific to the story of the characters, and yet also comment on a much larger theme in a satirical way, the movie Four Lions, which is about four wannabe, uh, four like up and coming suicide bombers who in the UK who want to suicide bomb the London Marathon, uh, Four Lions is a movie that kind of, I think, does this sort of thing immensely successfully in that it is like a wacky, it's like a wacky sort of slapstick dark comedy about suicide bombers. And it ends up being one of the best movies that I've ever seen. And I think is a, a good example of how you balance 
all of the things that this is trying to balance and maybe isn't as successful. So that's that. I think that would be my review, honestly, is like, go watch Four Lions. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot to I say about it. satire. And, you know, I'm sure many, many smarter people than me have weighed in on this topic. Yeah. But like, is satire even possible anymore mm-hmm. considering like, <laughs> the, the world we live in? But Randy, I know a movie both of us really like in that similar vein was like uh, Death of Stalin. Right. Yeah. Where it's yes, like you, you, you can take a movie, like take a topic like this and completely take all the air out of the balloon and, and just kind of make it as absurd as possible with while still kind of maintaining the core. And this didn't feel like it did that until kind of suddenly you get to the end of this movie and they're all sitting around the house and there's this beautiful scene of, you know, we really had it all and blah, 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 before everything kind of melts down. And I'm sitting in the theater, like, you know, borderline, like emotional. I'm like, wait, why am I? fuck this. Like, why am I like feeling this way about uh, this is not because of anything you did. This is because of like what's going on in the world. And I almost felt like, uh, he he was, he was getting credit for a a lot of shit that has happened the last 20 years rather than like what was actually happening in the last 90 minutes. That's very interesting. Cause I was like, yeah, that scene at the end too was like, Oh, that, that was powerful. Like I found myself. Yeah. But I think that's because you're bringing all your own baggage of just like, fuck yeah, yeah no, the town I live in is like probably going to get wiped out. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's cool. Uh, and I don't think that was because of like some epic character building of Leo right. and, right. you know, all his family and all that stuff. It's just by nature of the fact that you were watching it a theater in Jack's Beach and you're like, oh, correct. no. <laughs> yes, correct. We need to do something. Somebody needs to do something. Guys. Yeah. yeah. It, it, to your point earlier, like it, Tim, no, no, no offense, but it, it feels kind of Hollywoody in like the worst way, right? Oh, um, yeah. Just with even just some of the um, like the appearances and the 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 bit roles, uh, and I think that the big frustration, maybe, maybe um, with the that the movie maybe touches on and i know i've felt like just in my personal life like reading the news and everything is just i think you just come away from it being like yeah this sucks and also i feel totally helpless like what am i supposed to do about it and that like it's just like i can either just dwell on that and i feel like make myself miserable or just like push it aside and try to get on with life i i don't know i and i know that it's like not maybe the the best response but i I just watched this film and it's like yeah man this totally sucks and i think as a society like we suck and also i have no idea how any of that changes and that that's really really depressing yeah you're Uh, you're here yeah 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 (laughs) so so, yeah uh so with that said i guess we just move on um (laughs) the uh the next film up nightmare alley Big it T, is, you got you got to take this one. Yeah, I'm going. I'm coming hard on this. Let's let's use a <laughs> different term for this. I'm going big right off the bat. This is the movie I would vote for for best picture. I'm oh. so surprised. I am so surprised that it is the last one listed. And I'm not like a Guillermo del Toro stan. Uh, by any means I think he's but I watched this movie and I was like this is fucking made by a masterful filmmaker who knows exactly what he's fucking doing and every single piece of this is fucking beautiful and it's amazing 
Hell yeah. I kind of no. don't even have anything to add. No notes. No, no argument. Notes. I, I agree. I had such a, so my, I was talking to a friend two days ago and I said, if I'm choosing best picture, I don't care who's third, like take them all up there. I don't care. There's a mm -hmm. huge gap. And then I think it's nightmare alley and drive my car for me. Ultimately, I think yes. I went with drive my car, but nightmare alley would not be disappointed or upset one iota if it won. And like you, I cannot believe it's like the long shot to win. It, it is entertaining it is it makes you think it is beautiful it is well act like it, it's it's everything it's one thing that i also love is like when movies when movies tell you and because essentially the entire thing the entire movie is uh david stratham david stratham telling you he tells you at the fucking beginning, what they're doing, the movie tells you what it is the first yeah. fucking moment. And the first moment is, uh, is Bradley Cooper has killed. I mean, like whatever, we're getting right into the spoilers. You don't find this out till later, but what's the, like he burns the house. He burns the body. There's that beautiful shot of him walking away from the house. Maybe you don't think he's killed the person or maybe you do but the first fucking thing that happens is he sleeps like a baby so right <laughs> off the bat this is telling you that this main character has killed someone and sleeps like a fucking baby <laughs> that's who that main character is and he it's the entire thing is the entire thing is the is the trick that David Stratham is uh, David Stratham is kind of explaining it's the sleight of hand the 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 guy is you are watching this guy become the fucking geek show and he thinks he's the one that's turning someone else into the geek show. You know what I mean? It's yes. all a fucking magic trick. It's all a fucking circus vaudeville show. It's fucking incredible. I co-signed completely. I, I really don't have much to add. I fucking loved it. Uh, I thought it was beautiful, beautiful, beautiful to look at. I thought it was a, a great departure from... Was was Del Toro's last one, Shape of Water? I think so. Unless think, there was like a smaller one in between, I think it was. Which Shape of Water was was cool. I, I actually kind of liked it, I think, more than than most. It was definitely a, a weird one and uh kind of put you on your back foot the whole time. But uh this was just much more of a fastball over the middle and, and yeah. it was just a lot more uh wide appealing, a lot less sex with monsters, I would say, than Shape of Water. <laughs> uh but still monsters, which is great, you know. So he's he's not straying too far from uh, from from the meat and potatoes. But uh, I just loved it, man. I loved every facet of it. Kate uh, Blanchett, her whole kind of yeah. role in the second act of the movie was so phenomenal. Um, and just Bradley Cooper, it, it's kind of one of those things that, like, I'm trying to think when I would put this line of of demarcation or line in the sand. I guess probably like Wedding Crashers. Right. If you, if you like told me in whatever year that was, 2005, 2006, something like that. If you told me like, Hey, in 15 years, you know, something like that, Bradley Cooper is going to be a national treasure and like pretty among the best that we got doing it right now. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Definitely. Thumbs Definitely. Up. Yeah. yeah oh, sure. Sure. And dude, he just blew me away in this. And, and again, I, I mentioned him for licorice pizza, but uh, the fact that he got slept on as best actor for this 
is is kind of wild. It's kind of wild. Yeah. I, and Kate Blanchett, I I mean, everything in this movie is well done. If you just even think about the production design of her office yeah. and about the the road that the movie takes you on from sort of like the muddy, like the muddy, rain-soaked back, you know, nightmare alley nightmare alley shit at the circus to like the art deco uh, the art deco wealth in chicago mm-hmm. everything about it is good the fact that at some point you realize that she's the fucking devil i'm a sucker for a movie that has like a, a verna like its own language where i have a note where he's like everything's jake bruno you know what i mean like there's like <laughs> yeah. a language and there's a shorthand that the movie has like miller's crossing where it's like you know hey what's the rumpus it like you know it has that sort of shit in it um no good comes out of a spook show no good comes out of a spook show god it's so i am fucking i can't wait to watch this again and talk about last line first time yeah. or last line first line mister i was born for it oh my yeah. god mister i was born for it that's Fuck this, yes this movie had more moments like that for me, like in, in her office, right. When, uh, when Bradley's walking away and she's like, I forget the exact line, but it's like, Oh, did I oversell that or something when she's like, and I, and I always did love you. Yeah. Uh, and then when she like flips, uh, flips on the recorder that it's like, Holy shit. This is, this is a bad, bad woman. Oh Um, God. There, yeah, just just moments like that when the murder suicide was just like holy, like th- there were more moments oh. where it's just like oh my god, uh, which I really like from a movie. God, it just goes so hard. I like even little moments like Tony Collette, who's incredible in it. When there's, I can't remember the exact exactly what the setup is, but I think he like asks if she wants the book back, his book tells you how you do the thing. And she says, no, you keep it. You worked hard for it. Yes. Like, I mean, like tough. And like, you know, then you go back and once you find out later that it was, he like, you know, like I always, he says to his dad, I always hated you and takes the blanket from him to keep himself (laughs) warm. So that his dad will freeze to death. Then you're like, Oh, he like switched out the bottles to kill. Of course you know, yeah. this guy that he quote unquote cared for, like, and I will say that like, you know, maybe if you were going to criticize it, you might say that like you saw that one particular bottle switch coming, Sure, but man, I just, no good comes out of a spook show, man. Did you uh, see the, the flip from Kate Blanchett at the end? Cause that, I, that really caught me off guard. That's why I was yeah, like, I, I was taken aback. Yeah. I don't think I did, but but as it was happening and maybe even as I was realizing it was happening, maybe that's why I liked it so much is that I was also the mark in that, like, like I didn't even notice she was doing that to me, you know, yeah. like all the right. signs were there, like bright red lipstick on the devil. You know what I mean? Like all <laughs> it's all there. It's telling you from the beginning what is happening and still you didn't notice it because it's just that well done like the the movie does the exact same thing to us that it that those characters do to him and we also don't notice it it's just fucking amazing what a yeah. what a good point and in that i i think there's 
there's so many bad movies where all you're focused on is the plot device, right? Yes. And you're just constantly like, oh, I know what he's going to do here. And I, you're so right. I never thought about that once while I was watching this because I was so just sucked into every single scene, right? And every single line and every single set and every single costume and everything. I just felt it's one of those where you just kind of feel like you just keep getting closer and closer and closer to the screen. To where you're just like, oh fuck! Now I missed the whole magic trick. Wait, yep. who, oh my god, everybody's dead. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, I will say, like, spoiler you, alert. You, yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. You, you kind of him becoming the geek at the end is yeah. Like, I'm there, but it, it was almost like in such a way that was like satisfying because oh, for the first time I felt like I was in on the trick now. Yes, and, and he gave yeah. he gave that part like plenty of time to breathe right exactly and, and let you like yeah. catch your breath and just be like no 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 like let's sit for a second and just realize how full circle this was why this happened yes uh, you're totally right you you feel the turn with enough time to kind of process it right and it's not really like a gotcha it's just more of a slow like oh god <laughs> fuck i see where this is going and also like i love the fact that he is he is accepting of that yeah, right. the way that he was not accepting of it. He would never have accepted that fate at the beginning. He was going to find a way to move forward, but he is just like, yeah, no, this is, this is what I was born to be. I thought I was more and I'm not. How and good, I, oh, how good's the scene, the, the Cape Blanche initial Cape Blanchette scene where he's, he's just kind of improv at the, uh, Oh, right. You know, at the, oh, at the yeah. magic show. he's, oh, feel, he's kind of the kid in that it, moment. He's very much the kid. Definitely David feeling kid. himself. Uh, very, very much so. It's that was God. Great movie. That was my, like what you just said to him. I fucking love movies. That was my <laughs> fucking love movies movie on this list. <laughs> I love you, big man. Uh, it, it's so good. It's so good. It's the one that makes me the most excited to think about. And the one that I like of, of this list uh, is like the one that I had like that sort of like, holy fuck, that was incredible. I loved that yeah. moment where the rest of them, like some of them I like appreciate or, but that one was like, I had that reaction to it. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's move on. We have two left. Uh, the power of the dog. I, I'll just start and say, I, I would almost, for me, I would juxtapose this directly with Nightmare Alley in the sense that I get it or I, I appreciate <laughs> Prince makes or was this, it uh, Sting makes a lot of music. Story, yeah, you know, the fact I, he's making it, I respect. <laughs> it. I just found myself at the end like I just didn't really enjoy it. I I don't know. I it just it didn't again juxtaposing against Nightmare Alley or even Drive My Car for me like it just didn't do it for me. But curious what you guys think about it. I've said this. 35 times now on this podcast, but uh, probably the top of the list of like, man, I'm, I'm ready to watch that again. Not because I, I loved it, but just because I think I would get so, 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 so much more out of it the second time. Uh, I think in a really good way, this sounds like um, kind of a non-compliment compliment, but I think I was just so backfooted the whole time. I was so confused on what was going on. All the scenes felt almost like dissonant to me in that yeah. like, Everything I thought was going to happen, the opposite happened. Everything I was waiting for to happen, it never happened. Which, on one hand, I'm like, God, that's like that's awesome. But the first time you're watching it, it's a it's a weirdly uh, uncomforting kind of feeling. And then that last like 15, 20 minutes hits, and you're like, Oh shit! I thought I hated this movie, but this movie might be really sick. 
And uh, like, that's kind of as far as I got without watching it a second time. You know what I mean? Like, I think knowing the turn, knowing what happens, knowing kind of the motivations of some of the characters, uh, I, I think watching it back through again with that kind of roadmap or with the the answer key in your hand already would be, I, I think I would understand a ton more of the hype. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I get why people are jacked up about it because I, I do think it's kind of a masterclass in a lot of ways, but I, it's not one that you're going to really get that feeling the first time. I would agree definitely with that. And again, this is me watch only having seen it once, but, uh, but you're absolutely right about the answer key. Like I, I understand, like I was texting with a friend who was watching it and then like he and his wife were like, Hey, does this movie change from what it is? And I was like, and I was like, if you're not in the mood for that right now, no, it's not. It does not change what it is. So if you're not feeling it right now, you're not going to like start feeling it. But I, I do, I do think that this is one that's going to reward multiple watches because in the same way that I'm talking about, like Steven Spielberg doesn't miss, like Jane Campion doesn't miss, like she knows what she's doing and she's thinking about it. And so like those things, and I guess like this is the, these few moments that I'm about to talk about, I think are what points to why I think when I watch this again, I'm going to like it a lot more that like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch has this completely affected Western walk that seems so stilted. <laughs> and you, as you realize that he is trying to wear masculinity in a way that does not fit him that like you you can see the the theme of the movie embodied in his actual body and his actual physical movements that when you first see it it doesn't make sense and it seems dissonant and it seems like well, what the fuck like why is this weird choice being made and then ultimately and the same thing with like when you think about like when he's like you know bronco henry your boy he <laughs> saw the dog and and like the fact that the that peter sees oh yeah it's like a shadow there's a dog and he's like wait you saw that just now like you just saw that right now like that here's this guy who studied classics at Yale but is now this wannabe cowboy he kind of thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and ultimately this this guy who doesn't have as much power is able to 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 kill him I mean like I don't exactly know why the revenge thing plays in like this is i don't know the answer i just know that it's fucking well done yeah. you know what i mean no i do that's that's very well said as well yeah I, this was one of those movies that um i appreciate a little bit more reading about it after i saw it because mm -hmm. like like to your point well first of all there was this overhanging sense of like something really bad is going to happen and the whole time i thought like I, I will give the movie credit for flipping that on my head. Like obviously I thought Phil was going to do something awful to to Peter or, or even George. Like that's, I feel like the whole movie kind of sets you up that way and then flips it on his head. It's, um, it's shot like, I forget who I was hearing this from, but it's shot like a horror movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and having a horror movie take place in like a, a inside of a Western is really, really cool when you stop to like think about it almost more like academically like that. Right. But when you're actually watching it, you're just like, what the fuck? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Why, why am I feeling like this? <laughs> yeah. What's, what is this that I'm feeling? This is weird. Uh, which again is like 
that's what you kind of ask for, right? Like that's, you know, show me something I haven't really seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, shit, as I think about this, even right now, it's like, this was better than I think my opening <laughs> statements give it credit for, because no, I think, I, I, I think gonna, it's really right, interesting. Flip it at the bottom. Well, I think it's really interesting. Like Peter as a character, like makes a fascinating is put in a fascinating position where he's bonding with Phil. They have, come to realize they have like so much in common and i thought phil was setting peter up the whole time but maybe he wasn't like maybe there was a genuine bond like happening but then peter's mom obviously is just being tormented by phil and can never live like a healthy normal life if phil's around and i think that's ultimately like the impetus for the decision peter makes i think um and and that's that's interesting (laughs) yeah and i i love that I love that. I mean, this is maybe not the point of the movie, but I love that you have Benedict Cumberbatch, you have Phil who is putting on this sort of performative masculinity. And then again, like an overcompensation of masculinity where he won't even wash up to go to the table because you have to be dirty. You have to be like, you know, you have to be like Bronco Henry who would never wash up to go to the table, you know, like, whereas like, you know, his brother is just kind of like, I don't know, just come to the dinner table, you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't fucking worry about it. So you have this overcompensation. And then of course, like you would understand why Phil would hate Peter because Peter can't hide. Like when you see Peter, you know, and like, there's that great and incredibly uncomfortable scene of Peter walking by all those cowboys. It's just brutal, but like the bravery. And this is sort of like where you might get into like a sort of timely, but timeless discussion, like the bravery of somebody living like that in that time period yeah. How, how, how bad that would make you feel about yourself. If you're Phil, who is not brave enough to live the way that Peter does. Yeah. And I do God. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, like I was going to look it up, but last line, first line, I, I checked it out right before we did this. What is it? Deliver my soul from the sword. My darling, my darling from the power of the dog. That's the last line and he's reading it. And so I don't know what that scripture means. <laughs> so, so thank you because I don't either. And I, I don't either. Like, I was going to Google wish it. I did. <laughs> uh, and like, this is the thing. This is why I like almost related to the West side story thing. Like we need to know more about that before, but, and like, I feel like once we unlock what that passage is about yeah. and then you tie it into like, okay, well, what does the power of the dog in the mountains mean? Like what does then that represent? And how does that relate to this piece of scripture? That's why like the people that have already unlocked this, that's why they're all like, yeah, that's why it's going to win best picture. You know, I mean, that's why it's like negative 8,000. You fucking idiots. Like, yeah, yeah, guess what? We fucking put the puzzle pieces together and you guys just haven't Googled it yet. You know you what I mean? You guys are so dumb. You guys are so, oh, what? And we're like, I saw a great thing and maybe this is like aggressively hula hooping uh, after the guy, after confronting the guy that torments your mother. Like there's that one weird scene where he just goes out back and hula hoops. Like I just fucking love it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Give that thing the award. Give that fucking <laughs> best performance of a fucking hula hoop in 21 in 2021. I yeah, like I think we all seem to be on the same page of like it's probably going to take more knowledge than we currently have, but I know that it's there. Yes. Yeah. 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 
I think that comes pretty, I guess we got one more, but that comes pretty full circle with how I feel about drive my car. Right. It's, yes. it's almost yeah, yeah, it's yeah. nice yeah. to be able to like see around, like, you know, there's a corner. You just can't quite see around the corner, <laughs> you know, but, but I, I am aware there's a corner. I'm, I'm looking forward to diving in and digging more, you know, dig a little deeper into this stuff. I just, yeah, I didn't quite get there yet. So that's also hand up. That's on me. Learning moment. <laughs> also, I believe that the, that Chekhov's gun, like the idea of Chekhov's gun comes from uncle Vanya. The gun is introduced in the first act of Uncle Vanya. It goes off right. in the third act. So anybody, and I feel like the we have uh, in Power of the Dog and in Drive My Car, you have Chekhov's fan uh, picture. Right. Uh, Chekhov's fan picture is used. The guy that takes a picture of the bar and he confronts him. And then later on, he like punches a dude and kills him. Right. Uh, and in this, it's sort of like Chekhov's anthrax covered rawhide. <laughs> Is like one of the first thing he's like, don't touch that. There might be anthrax. He's got that like affected voice. You know what I mean? And then that's what ends up killing him. Anyway, yeah, we got to be smarter. We got to be smarter for next year, guys. I think we're <laughs> juxtap- I think on the spectrum of full total consciousness, understanding of this film on one end. And then I think on the other end is the Sam Elliott. Why was it so gay? Uh, <laughs> I do feel like we're we're closer to, you know, the 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 end of the spectrum. I do yeah. feel like we've we've given it proper respect and thought. Yes. Uh, so I feel good about that. But more unlike, work to do on the boys' end here. Unlike the Kinsey scale of this movie, with yeah. zero being Sam Elliott being like, "Why is this so gay?" and ten <laughs> is somebody who knows everything it's about. We're like a seven. Yeah. yeah we're exactly. like a bisexual seven. Totally. Which is, you know, I think we're gonna we're gonna pass the class. That's yeah, all we're gonna, gonna pass the class for sure. I'm gonna go to church this weekend just so I can ask the the pastor on the way out. Hey, quick question for you. <laughs> Psalm Psalm 22. Can you just like, love to just, rap about that a bit? Just high level. What's that about? Um <laughs> uh, all right. Last movie, uh Coda. It is um it was an Apple film. That's I saw it, I think, when I was home over winter break on television through Apple. It is about a a deaf family that has the daughter, though, can hear. And um, the struggle she faces having to be her parents and her, her brother's kind of interpreter to the world and their family business, especially she plays a huge role in that yet, you know, wants to live her own life is very into singing. And uh, by the end, wants to go off to, to, to uh, music school. So I thought, Tim, I want to set you up because I think uh, maybe this film didn't work for you and I would love to get your perspective on this. I thought this film was like, oh, that was really fun. I, I almost put it with Belfast, uh, maybe a, a notch below like Licorice Pizza and Belfast in that fun story. I don't regret spending the two hours that I did to watch it. And also, I'm not sure if I'm going to think about this really you know, a month from now, I, I don't think it should be the best picture winner. I it's kind of in that like dark horse odds spot right now. Um, but I, I, I would be a little disappointed. I think if it won best picture, I feel like I agree in that 
I think there are a lot of, and of course, I, a caveat, like I am half deaf, but I am not someone that speaks American Sign Language. I'm not like an actor who has been in the positions that the three other actors in this family have been in. And I think it's amazing the recognition that that, that the, the guy who plays the dad has been getting, um, obviously overcoming like a lot of hurdles in an industry that does not like to remove hurdles. Uh, but I, I agree in that the movie didn't necessarily work for me if we're going to put it like up in like the best picture of the year category, like as a film like that, definitely like the like his performance is incredible. And like I, Marley Matlin's performance is incredible. I really liked that scene where she talked about like, I was worried that you would be a hearing kid because then we wouldn't have a connection the way I didn't have a connection with my mom, who was someone who who heard like that was, I thought pretty powerful, but I didn't, when we look at it, when I looked at it from like a, 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 I don't know, I guess a filmmaking script kind of point of view, I didn't necessarily think that it was up there for me with Nightmare Alley, Power of the Dog, Drive My Car, like those kinds of movies in that like, you know, the guy who's like the supportive art teacher wears a scarf. I don't, Dave's fucking with me. Like the dad has a lighthouse tattoo. The tattoos look so fake. The tattoos are not great. So that's what I was going to ask. Was everything a little too, too tidy in this movie? I I could see that's where the criticism would be for me. It was like, it's just all those loose ends kind of just get tied together a little too neatly and cleanly. Maybe it felt a little bit to me like uh, the first Disney Channel original movie to be nominated for, yes. for an Oscar, yes. uh, which I would look forward to maybe the Academy recognizing some, you know, acts like Brinked, uh, Shipwrecked, you know, some of the other Disney Channel movies that were really, truly exceptional. The work of the Lawrence brothers, I think, shouldn't shouldn't go on on uh, unrecognized for much longer. Uh, no, I'm, I'm with you, Randy. It's like kind of whatever right it's a it's a story that i think is really interesting um my it, fun fact uh my aunt and uncle are both uh totally deaf and my cousin is fully hearing so very it's a a, a subject matter i've thought a ton about uh and kind of his perspective growing up and i've seen him be that person at at family gatherings and communicating to to his parents and stuff and so i i think it's a very I think there is a very, very, very interesting story there. I don't know that this was a very interesting story necessarily. It felt a little, a little, uh, I don't know, cheesy probably. But I think juxtaposing it against, uh, maybe this is just like too easy of a comp, but a movie like uh, Sound of Metal from last year was a movie that fucking ruled so hard. It was probably my favorite movie of last year because yeah. it just took you so deep into so many of the emotions of, what's going on. Right. And it felt like it just felt, I don't want to say like more real, but it just felt so much deeper. Right. It, it felt like you were just really like uncomfortably deep into this guy's world that it was almost like a really, really tough, tough watch. And this just felt like, you know, it, it could have been made a little bit by any kind of director. And I, I don't know, I hate to, I hate to kind of poo poo it like that, but yeah, it just, it just felt pretty, pretty tidy to me like like you said Randy. Was- but I, I think that's exactly right and i'm glad you brought up sound of metal i was i was going to make the same comparison and i totally agree with you in that sound of metal was so much more visceral for me and like i felt the torment of the character and what 
he was going through. And I, I just Coda didn't, didn't force upon me any of that, those same feelings and certainly not to the same degree, I guess. It felt a little bit like it was built with a, with a checklist, right? Like, do we have, uh, we actually only have seven laughs. We need, uh, we need nine laughs. So if we could inject uh, two more laughs, that would be great. Uh, we need a heartwarming moment. Anybody have any ideas for a heartwarming moment we could include? It it just, it it felt very, uh, I don't know, just kind of static. Yes. And I, I mean, there are things like it, it it seemed to hit like a lot of cliches in a way of like, I have parents who don't hear, but I want to be a singer. Um, There is like a sort of like working class Boston thing that or working class Massachusetts that they're going after. But it seemed like, but it seemed like the cliches of working class Massachusetts. Right. Uh, And it, uh, and then you have like, weirdly at some point in there, like government regulatory bodies are the enemy, which like also in no tread on me, baby. I mean like that also is sort of like, okay, like, but I don't know. Like I have a really good friend who like works with uh, like works with like ocean uh, fisheries off the coast of Maine and like a sustainable fishing and, and stuff like that. And like, how do you not absolutely just like drive this industry to the ground? Like that's actually kind of important. <laughs> and it feels like it was just kind of like thrown in there as like, uh, Oh, you know what sucks? The government looking <laughs> over our shoulder. You know what I mean? Like, it's just sort of like, you know, and then, I mean, I guess like I've spent this entire podcast talking about like nightmare logic and like the logic of like this thing. But then I'm like, but then also I'm like, where did this family come up with the startup costs for this business? Well, yeah, they had a massive, like, I guess they, they had kind of a throwaway line in there about like, oh, there's all these empty, empty warehouses. We should turn one of these into a business. Well, kind yeah, of- but you still got to pay somebody a deposit. No, I agree. I agree. I don't know. I guess I'm being too literal about that, but I just felt like the, there are, there, there were moments that like, like if we talk about last line, first line the last line of the movie is her signing. I love you in sign language to her family. Like right. I, to me, that actually points to the fact that the movie really did have a central theme about the love of a family coming together and getting over there. Like, that's a great theme. To that's have what a- I was going to say. Were, were there a bunch of like a, amazingly positive themes? And did I feel like good while I was watching it? And yeah, of course yeah. it was great. Do I think Kodo is better than the green Knight? <laughs> like no. fuck off. No. On, what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. The fact that it's so far up on the odds. Well, that's what surprises me. That surprises me. It's concerning. But also there is, that might just go into that thing of like that the Oscars for all the podcasts that we might, that one might record and all the talk that we have around this time of year, but I just year over year, more and more, I am just like, it kind of, to me is like, it never really fully reflects my best movie going moments of the year but it's not really supposed to right you know it's supposed to be a thing that kind of gathers in all you know all of the movies that everybody likes and celebrates them it's not just supposed to be the things that i personally like and i will say uh, yeah on that note it's probably maybe with the exception of like king richard I, easily the most like accessible movie oh movie, yeah, right? yeah yeah and not yeah. to make that like a backhanded yeah. a backhanded thing but you know it is it's good to have like you said it's good to have movies from a bunch of different neighborhoods right to to try to try to give everybody something to to get excited about to try to you know go to the theater but then you get into like the very cynical 
viewing of that and it's like well are we just nominating stuff to try to like boost ticket sales or like what, what yeah like what are we what are we doing but every know. every once in a while it's like oh wait then the oscars weren't necessarily about like what was the best version of filmmaking it's like right. i don't know like i went to like if you go to a movie and you if you go to the avengers and you walk out being like why wasn't that a character drama you're like, I don't know, maybe it's your fault. You know what I mean? Like, maybe. <laughs> totally. And I'll, I'll be happy to happy to wear that as yeah, well. That's fine. We, and we may be a little um, boiled because DJ, the first year we did this, like we absolutely love Parasite and that ended up winning. And it was like, yeah. it felt like, well, that's that's how it should work every year. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like you love, I know you're a massive Green Book guy though, as well. <laughs> I thought, you know what? I think Green Book and Coda, there are extreme similarities there. I know. That's what I'm worried about. I know. I know. Tim, my mom and I saw Green Book too. That was one that we watched together. I still haven't seen it. If if Coda didn't do it for you, I'm guessing (laughs) Green Book probably (laughs) won't do it for you either. well, that's that's the ten movies. Um, should, we, should we drive a big eight foot stake in this thing? Or well, what? I think DJ, you <laughs> might have just... to be the you might have to be the 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 tiebreaker. I think Tim's on record for Nightmare Alley. I I'll stick with my original Drive My Car. I'm curious where where you're giving your best picture award to. You know what? Uh, it's crazy that we're uh, pressing into the four hour mark of this podcast, and I still Hell yeah, know, I still don't know that I've made up my mind. To be totally honest, uh, I, I think. Gun to my head. I, I think the movie I liked the most was Licorice Pizza, obviously. Uh, but I think I'm going to give it to Power of the Dog, honestly. Just from a, I, I think if I rewatched everything uh, again, that's what I'm, I, I don't know how I would feel, obviously, but I, I would predict that I think I would like that one the most. Uh, I, I think it, you know, we had a good conversation about it. I think Nightmare Alley absolutely whips, as we said. <laughs> I think Drive My Car. Uh, I think there is a rich text from which to pull. I look forward to watching it again, or possibly not. <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be shocked, and I wouldn't be uh, disappointed to see Power of the Dog kind of stand stand up above him. I'm not trying to be a front runner here. I just I do yeah, think there's yeah, a yeah. lot of a lot of cool stuff that was going on in that movie. A lot of great performances. And, you know, I, I, I like, I, I'm going to throw my weight behind that. So I, I think we can come to a consensus. We're a hung jury here, which like, like that's... Bronco Henry. <laughs> oh God. Your boy, <laughs> your boy. Oh Lord. So you guys saw Power of the Dog way before me. When you guys started calling it the Power of the Hog, I I knew something was going to be up. God, if we had only had privileged conversation, if we had only had uh, Sam Elliott on that text chain, if we'd only had him on that text chain, all of this could have been avoided. I think he could, he would have emboldened us to go a little harder on on. Uh, on Jane to, to really hold her feet to the fire on some of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I got some real, inqu- I got some real questions. Was this all about some gay stuff? Yes, it was. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Stand oh. Out. <laughs> wow. I must've missed that. Um, well, gentlemen, I, I've never had more fun doing four hours of podcast than, uh, than I just had with, with you guys. Truly, truly a pleasure. This is and, great. And, with our differing opinions, it, it really it's it's going to make me really um, into watching the Oscars and seeing what wins. Uh, Who do you think's going to win? 
Are we doing predictions? I think power of the dog. It like if I had to like bet money, I, I would say power of the dog is going to win. I, I agree. I agree. I, I think the only thing that might sort of sneak up, we might see a drive my car, like, you know, sort of parasite, uh, like kind of like so we'll sneak there. But I also dark horse. I mean, I could see I could see now that I see the odds are that close. I could see Coda walking away with it. But I don't I think that would be like uh, that's that would be pretty crazy if, if Howard the dog didn't. Belfast would be the the dark horse that I'd be like ah okay I don't agree but I see what yeah, I see sure. what you did sure. yeah yeah I see what you're doing there well boys stuff, guys. yeah thank you thank you thank you uh, Tim best of luck in your upcoming projects we will um, we will absolutely be watching those and uh, we'll have to figure out another excuse to uh, to all get together again sometime sooner than later hell yeah let's do it I love it. Favorite trapper, the absolute.